Welcome to episode 87 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's Word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to talk about the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Let's dive in. Back in 2005, I had a wonderful opportunity just to seek after Christ and and be an intern for a good friend and a mentor of mine named Stephen Manley. And it was interesting, during the middle of that summer, we were asked, the three of us interns were asked to preach at a variety of churches. And so I was all excited and I got into the Word and began to study a passage. And, and what came out of that has actually been a message that has radically changed my life. And it's actually been something that I think about nearly every single week for the last however many years it's been since 2005. Well, in the discipleship program that I teach at, it's actually a message that I still give even to this day. And it's one of those things where it has never grown old in my life. In fact, the more that I give it, the more passionate and the deeper it actually is pressed into my own personal life. And it's this idea of the difference between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. See, there's a radical difference between having the information and the details about Jesus and actually having relationship and intimacy with Jesus. So I thought it'd be kind of fun since I haven't shared this, which is kind of odd to me as I was listening or going back through the uh, episodes of the podcast. I'm like, why have I never shared this, shared this session before? So I figured this might be a great week to do so. So I want to share a session that I typically give in our discipleship program called Gnosko. Now, Gnosko is just a Greek word for the word knowledge. But as you'll find out in this message, there's actually three words, three primary words in the Greek for the word knowledge or knowing something. And Gnosko just happens to be my favorite. In fact, it's probably my all-time favorite Greek word. So while you listen, may I encourage you to not just hear information or hear, oh, here's another podcast episode. But would you allow the Holy Spirit to literally grab a hold of your life and literally bring conviction if necessary, but ask yourself the question, do I actually know Jesus? Not merely do I know about him, but do I actually know him? Well, this is my message called Gnosko. This is one of those sessions that uh, if you were to uh, boil me down into a one session, like uh, what is your throbbing heart, Nathan? Uh, this one would be a great session to enunciate my life. Uh, in fact, if you, if you go all the way back to when God really began to get a hold of my life uh, 13 years ago, I grew up in the church, but, uh, but God just turned my world upside down. Uh, and during that summer, I ended up walking through some studies, and this ended up being one of those studies that I began to do. And it was interesting when I first studied and was working through this, God just gave me such clarity on what my life was supposed to be. And since that point, I've probably given the session, I don't know, a couple of times. Uh, a bunch of times, actually. And it's interesting, every time I give it, it has never gone boring. It has never just gone dull for me. In fact, every time I give it, I get more excited. Because it is a constant resounding truth in my own soul. And so if you want to say, Nathan, what is, what is one of those basic truths that God has used to turn your world upside down? I would say, me getting a hold of this idea. And once I got a hold of this idea, everything in my life changed. Isn't that exciting? A lot of the sessions that, that God has been working, or a lot of the sessions that I teach here, have flown out of this concept. Uh, in other words, if you stick around with me long enough, you'll begin to hear that this, this message is almost the undercurrent of everything I give. But we're talking about this idea of the intimacy of knowing Jesus Christ, which is phenomenal. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3, which is where we're going to be focusing <clears throat> this morning, uh, Paul makes this statement in Philippians 3 verse 10. He says that his passion and his desire is that I might know him, speaking of Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Uh, let me really quickly, let me just give you a quick background on my life. When I was a little kid, I grew up in the church and, you know, I, we, hey, every time the church doors were open, we were there. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, we were just, we were constantly at the church. 
But as a little kid, um, I had one driving passion in my life. Uh, there was one thing that would wake me up in the morning. There's one thing that I would dream about late at night. And it was making money. <sighs> as a kid, I loved having coins in my pocket. In fact, I preferred coins over, over the dollar bills. I mean, over the, you know, the, the, the paper stuff. Looking back, that was foolish. But the idea was I loved to stick my hand in my pocket, and especially if they were quarters, because they were the perfect size, and I'd pick up a pocket and just go chink, 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 in my pocket. So I just walk around, chink, 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 chink. It's like, oh, just hearing the money. You know, it's just, you know, growing up, we had Scrooge McDuck, right, has a cartoon, and he would dive into his piles of money. I was like, that just looks awesome. I realize you can't do that, but it just sounded really awesome. You know, like swimming through coins. It's just like, wouldn't that be awesome? And so as a little kid, um, I had a very entrepreneurial heart. And so here I was, probably, you know, five, six, seven years old. And I run up to my mom one day and I said, Mom, Mom, please, please. Oh, I'm begging you. I will do whatever you ask for a week. If you could just please do me this one thing, please. It's just out of the bottom of my heart. Please, could you just do this one thing for me? And so she says, okay, 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 okay. I'll, I'll do it. And then when she was doing her thing, I ran down. My mom is a big crafty person, and, and so we had this big craft room. And so I ran down, I grabbed a poster board, and, and, and it was, took a marker and scrawled all over it. And then I took our little card table and yanked it out to the side of the street. Then I ran in. My mom had made this big pitcher of lemonade, and I took that out to the side of the street, and I had lemonade, 10 cents. And uh, it was exciting. Sat there. I was waiting for this line to show up. I was going to make my first million by the end of the week. I was all excited. And um, now there's a problem about where we lived. Uh, where we lived happened to be not just a, like a back neighborhood, but it's like you had the main street. And to get to our house, you had to go off the main street into this neighborhood. And you had to drive past all this neighborhood to go off in this other back end part of the street. And that's where we lived. In other words, we didn't have a lot of people <laughs> coming around. And so um, I decided that if I was going to make some money, I had to be strategic. And so I decided that every time a person was going to walk down the sidewalk, I would jump out in front of them and say, stop, you cannot pass till you give me 10 cents. But in exchange, I'll give you a couple of an eight. It's a great deal in my mind, you know. And that ended up working so well that every time someone was riding their bike on the sidewalk, I would jump out and say, stop, you cannot pass until you give me 10 cents. But I'll give you a couple of an eight. That was working so well. That any time a car was driving by on the road, I would jump out and say, stop! Some of you are like, did you make it? <laughs> I'm here, I'm okay. Uh, years later, that, that began to change, and I think I was around 10 years old or so, and, and I realized that 10 cents for a cup of lemonade was not going to make me my millions as quick as I thought they were. And so, instead of selling the lemonade stuff, I, I went into our backyard and turned the backyard into the Carnival of Wonders, 25 cents. And uh, it didn't look like that, by the way. <laughs> but what I would do is I, would, I had all the stuff in the backyard, and then, <laughs> no joke, I would stand on the slab of our, our uh, property, and I'd be like, Carnival of Wonders, 25 cents! And all the neighborhood kids would come over, and we would have an epic carnival. You could swing on the swing set. You could take a football and throw it into a bucket of water. I mean, some like epic carnival stuff. It was really cool. As my life progressed, uh, it kind of shifted away from the money thing. And truth be told, I, I just, I wanted, I wanted the awards. I wanted the prestige. I just wanted, I wanted the resume. Now, I'm not good at athletics. I can play disc golf. I can play ultimate frisbee once in a while. Uh, but outside of that, uh, that's about the extent of my athletic ability. Uh, though Aaron Vogel, who's our trainer, does say I have athletic tendencies. <laughs> Still not sure what that means. <laughs> in other words, I'm not an athlete. But you, once in a while, you have a tendency. <laughs> oh, thanks. Anyway, so I, I've, I've never been the athletic person. So I put all my focus. Um, I, you know, I was taking the business classes. I was doing all the leadership stuff. And I was doing the youth group thing. Why? Because when I got out of high school, I, I wanted a resume that just says, wow, look at this guy. You, hey, we want, oh, hey, all the colleges want this guy. And when I got into college, you know, I was doing, oh, hey, I was getting the grades and all that kind of stuff. Why? Because I, I, wanted, I wanted the pedigree. I wanted the resume. I, I wanted the, see, I just wanted to be the best, the best, the best. And it was interesting. 
It was during my time of college that God just radically got a hold of my life, flipped my world upside down, and it's just like none of that matters because there's only one thing that matters, which is him. Did you know that Paul was very similar to that? Paul in Philippians 3 makes this statement. I think this is so neat. Now he's talking, he's, he's talking to Jews, you understand. He's talking, I mean, it's, there's, there's the church, so there's Jews and Gentiles, but he's talking about his prestige as a Jew. Now listen to this. Paul is just, he's giving his resume. And Paul says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, you think you're something? Woo, you think you have the education? Hey, you, hey, you have the letterman's jacket? Hey, you have the right background? Nothing. Let me tell you about myself, he says. And then begins to list his qualifications. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. Now, none of you are sitting there going, whoa, ho, ho, Paul. I mean, you don't look that shocked. Like, okay, good for you. But recognize that in his day and in his culture, this is a big deal. And what he's basically saying is, folks, do you recognize that, hey, I had the right education. I came from the right background. I had the right teachers. I, had, I won the awards. I, hey, I'm the best of the best of the best of the best. Isn't that interesting? He says, hey, if you think you can brag, you've got nothing because, hey, I've got, I've got it all. I have the pedigree. I've got the background. I've got the education. I have the, I have the finances. I have the, I have the, I have the, I, I mean, I have it all. But listen to what he says next. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith and here's our verse, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, here I am, the best of the best of the best of the best. Hey, I have the right background, the right education, the right, I mean, I just, I have it all. However, he says, if you were to take all of that and compile it into just, you know, one little nugget, I would look at that and go, whoa, rubbish, in view of knowing Jesus. Now, interestingly, that word for rubbish, I don't know what you think of when you hear rubbish. Uh, I mean, if you're from the UK or Australia, rubbish typically means, you know, trash, garbage. But rubbish here in the Greek, really interesting, it's the Greek word skybalon, skybalon. And it actually means dog doo-doo. Yeah, dog dog. Anybody have a dog? Uh, you know that you feed a dog, the dog does something and you have to clean it up. I've never met one person who said, whoa, let's keep it. Yeah, let's bring it into the house. Hey, let's put it on a display table. No, it's nasty. You throw it away. You get rid of it. Don't you? So I'm like, no, I keep it. <laughs> right? We get rid of it. Why? Because it's, it's just, it's nasty. Think about this. Paul says, here I am, the best of the best of the best of the best. Right education, right background, right parents, right, 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 right. However, if you were to take all of that and offer it to me, you know what I would say? I would say, whoa, that is rubbish. In view of knowing Jesus. That knowing Jesus is so over the top. That knowing Jesus is so overwhelming I would dump my background. I would dump my education. I would dump, just, just get rid of it. Why? Because I have him. Isn't that a strong statement? Now, in order to truly appreciate what Paul is saying here, you have to recognize that the word knowledge in the Greek can vary. In other words, there's, I'll say it this way. There are three main types of words for the word knowledge in the Greek. And if you understand the three words for knowledge, and then you come back to this passage, it gives you a whole new understanding and appreciation for what he's actually saying. Everyone good so far? 
So what I would like to do really briefly, I'm not going to go majorly in depth, but what I like to do is teach you some Greek and the nerds rejoice, right? Now, if you're not a nerd and you're ADD, just hang with me. This will make this really simple. All right. Now, again, there's three key words for knowledge in the Greek. Did you know that Greek is a very thick language? English, in comparison, is a thin language. Uh, For example, uh, we have a word called love. I love you! It's a good day to say that, isn't that? You know, it's National Sad Day, Singles Awareness Day, right? It's Valentine's. Okay, all right, so, I don't know which one you celebrate, but... uh, Anyway, so on Valentine's, someone will look at this, you know, this guy will look at this lovely lady and say, I love you. But what does he mean by that? Because the same guy will say, I love pizza. I love my car. I love my dog. I love God. Hopefully he's not saying that he loves his wife the same way he loves ice cream. I hope. We don't love God the same way that we love pizza. Hopefully, right? So we have one word for love, and we have like, but love, see, it's, we have one word, but the Greeks, they had four different words for the word love. And based on how you wanted to use love, you'd use one of the, the four words. So, so here, Greek, Greek is a thick language. Do you know what they used to do for fun? The Greeks, just for fun, kicks and giggles kind of stuff. Down on their street corners, they would go down and they would debate philosophy. (laughs) You're like, that doesn't sound fun. That's what they would do. But you realize they had a language that allowed them to do that. The other thing that's really neat about the Greek language is that it's very picturesque. I'm a picture person. I think in pictures. And what's so amazing is every Greek word paints a picture. Oh, it's phenomenal. So again, English rather thin, Greek rather thick. So again, there are three main words for the word knowledge in Greek, and I want to give those to you, because when you see the thickness of this idea, it begins to give some illumination. So here we go. You ready? First word for the word knowledge in the Greek is the word nostos. So say that. Nostos. So this is going to be participatory. You have to do this. Okay? Don't be that person who's like, I'm not going to do it, or you're just going to mouth it without saying it. That's cheating. And God knows your heart. All right? So say nostos. Thank you. Nostos has the idea of facts, data, and information. Uh, The word gnostic comes out of this word. But it's this idea of you know something, but how do I know it? Oh, I know it because of facts, data, information. For example, I come to this math book, and it says 2 plus 2 equals 5. Right. Just checking. The kids are like, no! No! We are homeschooled, I think. Aren't they homeschooled? So they're smart. Right, I go to this science book, and it says that uh, this and this and that. Well, how did I know that? Oh, I read it in a book. Uh, the illustration for this would be, a, would be a piece of newspaper. So here you are. You open up the newspaper, and the headline in the newspaper says that the president, I'm making this up, but the president had tea with the queen. And I'm immediately jealous. The queen has never asked me for tea. I've asked her for tea, but she's never responded. Right? She, hey, she does not want to have tea with me. Well, how did I know that the president had tea with the queen? Well, do I, do I know the president? No, I don't know the president. He's never called me on the phone and said hello, which has hurt my feelings. Right? Has the queen ever conversed with me? Nope. My hopes were dashed on the rocks of despair. Right? She's never engaged with me. Well, then how did I know this? Oh, I read it in a newspaper. Facts, data, information. Does that make sense? That's the word nostos. So let me give you a passage in Scripture where it uses this word. In Acts chapter 1, <clears throat> Peter stands up in the midst of the, of the 120. This is the first business meeting of the early church. Jesus just ascended in uh, verses 9 through 11. And here he is talking about Judas and the fact that Judas went off and hung himself, and now we have to replace the, this apostle position that Judas left. And this is what Peter says. <clears throat> now this man, speaking of Judas, purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. 
and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. Sorry, this has been just so gruesome today. I didn't write it, though. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, Akeldama, which is filled of blood. He says, hey, Judas died. He went off and hung himself. And everyone in Jerusalem knew about it. How did they know? Did, did they actually have personal correspondence with Judas? Well, probably not. Well, how do they know? I'll tell you. It's easy. That morning, they all opened their doors, and sitting on their doorstep was Jerusalem Times. And the headline in Jerusalem Times with this little, you know, stick figure drawing was, Judas hung himself, entrails gushed out, filled the blood. Right? How'd they know? Well, it was just facts and data and information. So apparently all of Jerusalem was hearing about this, but most of them probably didn't know Judas. I mean, there's a lot of people in Jerusalem at this time. It was the Passover season. Everyone was coming to Jerusalem. So it's not that they had interaction with him, you understand, but they all heard it. It was all gossip. It was all just, just details. That's Nostos. So again, Nostos, facts, data, information. Now the second Greek word is the Greek word oida. <coughs> so say oida. Isn't that one a fun one to say? You should say it again. Oida. Now, Nostos deals with facts, data, information. Oida has the idea of knowing something through perception or seeing it. For example, you know, we say, oh, I see it. And it's not that we see it, it's that we see it. You see it? Right? We say things like, oh, the light bulb has turned on. Right? It's this idea of perception. Uh, sometimes in the New Testament, it's translated, they saw something happening. But it's not mean that they so much saw it physically as, as, they, as they grasped it. <coughs> uh, this is used in John 14, 5 and 6. Thomas comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, we do not oida where you are going. And how can we oida the way? And what he's actually saying is, Jesus, we have no idea what you're doing. We have no perception. We have no understanding. And we have no grasp. What are you doing? And of course, Jesus looks at him and says, three years I've been with you. That's not what he says. He says, Judas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He says, Thomas, you want to know what I'm doing? I'm it. You want to gain a perception? Whoa, here I am. Isn't that awesome? So oida. So nostos, facts, data, information. Oida has this idea of perception and seeing. And then here's our word. Gnosko. So say gnosko. Whereas nostos is facts, data, information. Oida has perception and understanding. Gnosko, get this, this is really interesting. Gnosko is knowing something. How did I know it? Through experience or relationship? Uh, some time ago, driving down this road, and I saw a sign. Oh, there it is. And you could come up to me and say, wow, what is the speed limit of that road? And I'd say, oh, I nostos it. It's 35. How'd you know? Saw a sign. Facts, data, information. Uh, one day... Driving down this road, I look in my rearview mirror, and there was excitement that bubbled up within. Because in my rearview mirror, there was a party going on. These lights were flashing, this music was going on. I was like, whoa, there's a party. I should pull over so I can participate in the party. So I pull over. And this man in a party uniform with a party hat comes over and knocks on my window. And so I roll down my window and say, hey, what's going on? I said, hey, what's going on? And he's like, hey, I want to invite you to a party. Can, can I have proof that you can be a part of my party? And so I gave him my license and my registration. And as I gave him my license and my registration, he gave me, this is so cool, he gave me a little yellow slip of paper to prove I was at the party. And I got to pay $247 to be in the party. Now, you come up to me and say, what's the speed limit of that road? I'd say, I can tell you. 
35. How'd you know? I experienced it. See the difference? Uh, perhaps my favorite illustration. This is a long time ago now. Um, I was really interested in a topic. Oh, I was excited about the topic. And uh, I really wanted to learn more about this idea of kissing. I was, I was just intrigued. I was excited. And uh, so uh, I did what any you know, red-blooded American male would do. I got onto Wikipedia. And uh, I looked up kissing. Did you know? There's a whole bunch of history and a whole, there's diagrams and examples. And I mean, I was learning a lot about kissing. It was awesome. Now, you could look back at me and say, well, that is one way to learn. <laughs> Facts, data, information. But there's a better way. Isn't there? I mean, this is, this is not here, obviously. You don't learn that here. Well, just to clarify, unless you're already married, then by all means embrace your Valentine's Day. But the rest of us don't, that's not for here. But do you see the difference? I mean, you can read a lot about kissing or you can kiss. One is knowing through facts and data and information. One is, woo, a little bit better. Why? Experience. That makes sense? Quit thinking about that. So, Gnosko has this idea, facts, or sorry, Gnosos is facts, data, information, oida, perception, understanding. Gnosko is, I know it. Well, how did you know it? Experience or relationship. In scripture, it's really interesting. Luke chapter 1, Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Woo, you are with child. Do you know how Mary responds? She looks at the angel and says, How can this be, since I do not know a man? You understand what she's not saying is, Oh, what's a man? I've never seen one before. Point one out to me. I don't know one. That's obviously not what she's saying. She's saying, hey, I've never experienced, I've never been with a man. And it's interesting that the word gnosko is often used for the sexual intimacy in a marriage. But even beyond that, it's, it's, it's no, again, it's knowing something through experience or relationship. For example, in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer. And he says, this is eternal life. Aren't you interested in what eternal life would be? Like, what does Jesus say eternal life is? Jesus is very clear on what eternal life is. He says, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Oh, so facts, data, information. No, no. Oh, I'm to perceive and know him. No, no. Well, how am I to know God? Intimacy. Experience. Relationship. Do you realize that that is the defining reality of a Christian's life? That a Christian is not one who grows up in the church. A Christian is one who has intimacy and relationship with the living God. Isn't that amazing? What's really neat about this idea of gnosko is that it never wanes. It never, it never just gets worse. It always gets better and better and better and better and better. Um... Here's this young strapping gentleman. Here's his lovely bride. He looks at her and goes, oh, I love you. She looks back at him and says, I love you too. And that's important. And they turn around, right? And they march down the aisle. And there they are shaking hands at the back after the, after the ceremony. And I go up to the guy and say, congratulations. Well done. Woo, this is exciting. Well done. You're married. And I say, hey, do you know her? He goes, well, of course I know her. You know, she's 5'7", brunette, likes long walks on the beach. No, no, no. Do you know her? <sighs> yeah. I know what excites her. I, I know what makes her sad. I know what just delights her heart. I, I, I've been spending time with her, and as I spend time with her, I, I'm getting to know her. You ask the same man 50 years later, do you know your wife? Do you know what he's going to say? I have no idea. Just kidding. That's not true. <laughs> Do you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, actually, I know her better now than when I married her. That somehow after 50 years of marriage, it has grown and expanded and just gotten better and better and better. And I know her better now than I did back then. Have you ever seen a cute old couple? 
I love cute old couples. I can't wait to become a cute old couple. I know I have to get married first, but I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when I get to be a cute old couple. I love cute old couples. Why? Have you ever noticed that cute old couples, they start to, it's like they spend so much time together, they have their own language. In fact, they don't even have to talk anymore. She looks at him, and you're like, what just happened? And they had like a full one-hour conversation, right? Well, how's that possible? They spend so much time together, they just know what each other are thinking. Haven't you noticed that cute old couples, they start to talk like each other, they start, start to act like each other, they start to look like each other? Don't you feel bad for my future wife? I mean, they mean they just, they're spending so much time together that they're just, I mean, they're two, but they're, they're one. Why? They've, they've welded themselves together. Wouldn't that be amazing to have that with Jesus? That you and him can get so wrapped up in each other's lives that, that somehow you begin to talk like him and think like him and act like him. In fact, you're starting to look like him. Now, I understand you look like you and, and hey, we're not, I mean, ladies, I know you don't want to have the beard thing. I understand all that. But what would happen if his nature and his character and his life was so infused within you that when people saw you, they didn't just see you, they saw him? Don't you want that? And again, this is not something that wanes and gets worse. This gets bigger and better and woo, woo, woo. And I said this before, but wouldn't it be amazing if at the end of this week, you will look back on what God has done in your life and say, wow, I know God better now than when I started this week. Well, how'd you know? Well, I got a notebook. Well, so what? I mean, I'm glad you got the notebook. But if that's all that has changed, you realize you're lacking. But if, wow, at the end of the week, I know him. Not facts, data, information. Yeah, that may come. And there's nothing wrong with facts, data, information. But you realize that what would happen if you knew him? Well, what would happen a year from now if you knew God better than you know him now? What would happen in five years? I mean, you think I'm excited about Jesus now. Woo, just give me another decade. Serious. Why? Because this thing is increasing. That's this idea of gnosko. Now, bring all of that and come back into our passage of Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> oh, by the way, just as... Is this in your notes, the Matthew passage? Came across this not long ago. <clears throat> I thought it was really interesting and powerful in light of this. Let me just read it. Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But it is he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? In other words, they have all this evidence of religious stuff. But listen to this. And then I will declare to them, I never gnoscoed you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I don't know about you, but if I saw someone who came to church every Sunday, if I saw someone giving all the tithe money, if I saw someone doing evangelism, if I saw someone casting out demons, if I saw someone, hey, helping the poor and the needy, I would not call them a worker of lawlessness. I would say, whoa, be like them. But Jesus says, that stuff doesn't matter. It matters. But that's not what determines heaven and hell stuff, folks. What determines heaven and hell? Intimacy. And if you don't have the intimacy, sorry. So come back to Philippians. So here's Paul. He says, I, hey, I have the background, I have the education, I have the training, I have the prestige, I have the letterman's jacket. Hey, I've got the awards and I've got the trophies and here I am, the best of the best of the best of the best. But if you were to compile all of that, I would look at that and go, whoa, rubbish. And view of knowing Jesus. Anybody want to guess what word he uses there for knowing? He uses the word nostos. Facts, data, information. Isn't that odd? Here's what Paul's saying. He says, here I am, the best of the best of the best of the best. And if you were to culminate all of that and offer it to me, I would go, whoa, rubbish. In view of picking up a piece of newspaper and reading a single headline 
that said, Jesus is Lord. Do you realize how good our God is? Do you realize how overwhelming he is? Our God is so phenomenal and so rich and so wonderful that he would be worth dumping your entire life, your entire education, all your awards, all your trophies, just to have a single piece of newspaper headline that said, Jesus is Lord. Wow. Paul says, I will trade everything just to have one little fact and data about him. But he goes on in verse 10, and he says this. He says, well, that is true. Yeah, here I am, the best, the best, the best, the best, and though I would dump that, and hey, I I would call it all rubbish in view of just knowing facts, data, and information about God. He says in verse 10, he says, but oh, my passion, my desire, my consuming consumption is that I might gnosko him. Do you know what excited Paul? Do you know what turned Paul on? Do you know what was his drive in life and ministry? It wasn't the facts of the data and the information. I mean, yes, he's willing to call all rubbish in view of just a newspaper headline. But Paul says, but what drives me? What, just, what, what excites me? Hey, what I just desperately crave and need is, oh, I, I have to know him. Hey, I have to get tight with him, folks. Hey, this is about relationship. I need intimacy. And I need to be intimately acquainted with his life, his death, his resurrection. Wow, I need this. Do you have this? Well, I grew up in the church. I pay the preacher $50. I sure hope you would. Well, I teach Sunday school. Good for you. Hey, I did Bible quizzing. Good for you. Good. Great. But that's all dead, folks. If you don't have this. Well, I believe in Jesus. The demons believe in Jesus. Don't they? You realize that our evangelism in the modern day is, has almost become so dumbed down, anybody could get in. In other words, we become like a true-false test evangelism. For example, uh, we go up to this guy. Do you believe that Jesus came to earth? True. Uh, do you believe that Jesus died upon a cross? True. Do you believe he rose again? True. Woo! You're a Christian! Go up to Satan. Satan, did Jesus come to earth? Mm, true. Did he die upon a cross? Uh, true. Did he rose again? True. Woo! You're a Christian! No. No. <laughs> no. Hello. No. Well, what determines if you're a Christian or not a Christian? It's not if you know the stories. There's a lot of people who study the stories. They're not Christian. Well, what determines it? Oh, I go to church. No. Corey Tim Boom used to tell the story. Here's this little mouse up on a kitchen table, and he sees a cookie jar. <gasps> he goes, oh, a cookie jar. And so he grabs a spoon, swings the spoon around, crawls up the spoon, and jumps into the cookie jar. And in the exaltation of falling into the cookie jar, he just jumps and says, woo, cookie dust is flying everywhere. And he screams, I'm a cookie. No, you're a mouse in a cookie jar. Jumping into a cookie jar does not, make you a, does not make you a cookie. Neither does going to church make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian? Do you have intimacy? Do you have, your, do you have, do you have a relationship? Uh, years ago, I went to seminary, and uh, God was doing a lot in my life and turning my world upside down, and I decided I wanted to really just study the Word in depth and so I applied to the seminary, and right before I left, my aunt pulled me aside and said, Nathan, I'm really excited for you, really just thrilled what God's going to do in your life, but can I just encourage you, don't lose Jesus at seminary. And <laughs> I shouldn't have done this, but I laughed. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm going to seminary. Do you know what we do at seminary? We take classes on the Bible. 
Our homework is from the Bible. At lunch, we talk about Jesus. In the evenings, we go around a campfire and sing Kumbaya. I mean, that's seminary. The whole thing's about Jesus. My aunt just said, be careful. I got over to seminary. So interesting to me. Here was all these people who knew a lot about Jesus, but didn't know Jesus. I was sitting in these classes, and, and hey, they knew all the big words. And, and hey, they could debate you up and down. And, and I would sit there and go, wow, they are so smart. But you look at their life, and they were dead inside. There's just nothing going on. And they had some information, but they didn't have intimacy. Do you realize what determines whether you're a Christian or not a Christian is this. Hey, you can do all the right things. You can know all the right information. Hey, you can answer all the right test questions, but you will still die and go to hell unless you have this. For this is eternal life, declares Jesus, that you might know, know, know me. Do you know him? Are you wrapped up in intimacy? Well, I, I know a lot of information. Good for you. And hey, I hope you're learning things this week. You should be learning things this week. There's nothing wrong with academics. But if your spirituality remains on the level of academics, can I just tell you, you will die and go to hell. Why? Because that is not the basis of Christianity. It's not, well, did you go to church for 50 years? Hey, that doesn't matter. What matters? This, folks. You could be dumber than a rock and ugly too and still make it into heaven. It's good news for a few of us. Why? Because it's about this. Do you have this? See, see, what would it look like if I got so wrapped up in intimacy and oneness with a living God that I became the cute old couple with Jesus? See, see could I get so tight with him that, that I began to have his heart and I began to have his mind and I began to have his attitude and, and I, I began to have his tone and, and I just began to express his love and, and I, just, I just couldn't help myself. See, again, this is not WWJD kind of stuff. This is not, all right, I'm going to look at the situation and say, hmm, what would Jesus do? And What if his life was inside of me through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? And he just began to act and live and talk. A few years ago, I was doing a lot of homeless ministry over in Tennessee, and I took a couple of our homeless guys over to the VA hospital, and I dropped them off at the front door. I was going to move my car. It was, a, it was a kind of a cold, dreary day, and there's this little old lady. Love little old ladies. Oh, so cute. And, uh, she was walking, and I was just like, oh, little old lady. I was so excited. And as she was about to get into her car, she slipped and poof, hit the ground. What I did not do is I did not sit there and go, oh, Jesus, what do you want to do in this situation? If you were here, what would you do? Oh, give me insight. I'm waiting for the insight. Do you know what I did? I ran over to her as quick as I could. I said, hey, are you okay? I grab her, I pick her up, and I throw her in her car. Kindly. You're like, whoa. Did Jesus tell you to do that? No. But there was something going on inside of me that I just I had to. I was compelled to do it. Wouldn't it be so neat if you got so tight with Jesus that it wasn't, oh, WWJD. It shifted into, God, what do you want to do in this situation? What are you wanting to do in my life? What do you want to do through my life? Eric talked about the glove idea. See, see, what would it look like for you to be so tight with Jesus that it wasn't, oh, hey, and how do you want to move in my life today? What if you just began to move in your life today? What would it look like if, 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 if prayer time in the morning wasn't, well, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go to my little prayer closet for 15 minutes in the morning and check that off my list. What if I begin to realize that the living God lives inside of my life and I can actually have fellowship and intimacy with him every moment of every single day and I can just have a constant conversation with him? Wouldn't that change how you lived? See, what if your time with Jesus wasn't, well, I'll put my time in in the morning and, and check off and do my devotions and then I'm going to live my life for Christ. See, what if God didn't want you to live your life for Christ? What if he wanted to live his life through you? See the difference? See, see, what would happen if I could get so tight with him 
that when you saw me, you didn't just see me. Yeah, you see me. But what if you didn't see me, you saw him? See, I had a desire for the last several years that, that somehow he and I could get so wrapped up in oneness and intimacy together that if I met you and I say, hey, my name's Nathan, and a year goes by, and you come and meet me again, and you say, oh, what was your name? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Now, I'm not Jesus. You understand that? I'm not Jesus. I'm Nathan. But I'm full of Jesus. Yeah, I have his spirit living inside of me. It's the spirit of Jesus. It's the spirit of truth. And wouldn't it be amazing if he started changing my heart to my mind and my vocabulary and my nature and my attitude and my motives and my, my language and and what you heard and what you saw and what you experienced was not me. It was him living through me. I mean, yes, I'm fully there, but it's not just me. It's me and him coming together and we are living the Christian life. Do you know that that is Christianity? Christianity is not, I'm living my life for Christ. As if he's out there somewhere. That's not Christianity, folks. That's Old Testament. New Testament, woo! He's leaped off of his throne and he's come to indwell your life and now he wants to live his life through you in partnership with you. And yes, I am decreasing. And yes, I'm getting out of the way. And yes, it's more of him and less of me. That's true, but I'm, I'm fully participating, folks. This is not sit on the couch, eat bonbons, and watch television until he thrusts you off to do evangelism. I don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, do I brush my teeth? God, do you want to brush my teeth or do you want... Or do we not want to brush our teeth this morning? I brush my teeth. Because you should. Someone's being convicted right now. But wouldn't it be amazing if, as I'm, as I'm living my life, and, and as he's doing something through me, I didn't have to sit there and say, wow, do you want to do evangelism today? And rather, it's like, God, I'm, I'm being stirred. Why, why am I being just pressed to that person? Wow, do something. Wouldn't it be amazing if, wouldn't it be amazing if he just so filled up your life, you became the cute old couple with Jesus? And you had his heart and his mind and his language and his motive and his attitude. Read the New Testament, folks. That was the passion of the New Testament writers. That your mind would be renewed. That your language would be his. That your motive and your heart would be changed. And this isn't, all right, I'll buckle down. I'll grip my teeth. I'll, hey, I'm going to pull off the Christian life. Because you can't do it. The only way you're ever going to live the Christian life is when you allow him to live it through you, which is what we've been telling you all week long. That you, inside of your life, there are two people, which is not schizophrenia, by the way. Right? Schizophrenia is one person, multi-personalities. But this is two distinct individuals living inside of your life. Inside this body, there is Nathan, the goofball, and Jesus Christ through his spirit. And we understand it's not the literal Jesus, right? He's not like in my heart watching the blood pass by, right? Well, we're talking about he has dumped forth his spirit, and now his spirit is in my life. He's giving me insight to knowledge of who he is. He's leading me unto Christ. He's pressing me. He's, he's guarding my heart to my mind. He's, he's leading me in how I should go and speak. And he's giving me, he's resourcing my life. Where I resource my life up until this point, now he wants to be the engine of my life. Do you have that? Or has your Christianity just been facts, data, and information? Uh, stories are told of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, Charles Spurgeon is considered the prince of preachers. And these phenomenal stories have come out. Spurgeon knew Jesus. He knew Jesus. And these stories are told of Spurgeon that here he is, he would be going into a new town to do some evangelism and some preaching. No one had ever met him. And here he is, he's just walking down the town, walking down the street. And here are all these grown-ups, these adults, who would see Spurgeon walking down the road, and they begin to weep in conviction. Well, what did he say? Nothing. He was walking down the road. But obviously there was something so dynamic going on in his life, between his relationship between him and Jesus, that it was somehow spilling out of his life and grabbing the world around him. Stories are told that Spurgeon would take these tours in the old factories. And uh, here these, you hear these men working at the factory. This is, whoa. I mean, we're talking about factory workers. I mean, think Phil Apartment. Just, whoa. I mean, big, strong, muscular. But, you know, factory workers, they don't cry. They don't laugh. They just, whoa. They're just, and Spurgeon would be taking tours of these factories. And as he's taking a tour, these, these men would just begin to weep. Well, what does Spurgeon do? Nothing. He was taking a tour of a factory. 
Well, why were they crying? I don't know. But something was going on in the life of Spurgeon that reached out and grabbed the people around him. Uh, anybody own some Christian t-shirts? I don't know about you, but I've gotten rather sick and tired of most Christian t-shirts. I mean, most Christian t-shirts are cheesy. Now, there are some really good ones out there. More and more, I'm starting to see like some better ones. Like Arnold, one of our guys here, has a shirt that just says, Jesus, 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 in bright green. I was like, I like that shirt. I thought that's a good one. Uh, my friend had one <clears throat> that had, it looked like this bear had ripped the shirt in half. And it said, don't make fun of bald people. And it had the passage about Elisha. Right, where the little kids went up to Elisha and said, go up, Baldy, go up. And he called out these two mama bears and they killed all the teens. <laughs> great story. <clears throat> anyway, I, I think that's a great shirt. I think that's funny. I actually uh, saw one actually today. I was, I was doing some, I was doing some research and came across this little advertisement and the t-shirt said, Jesus took naps. Be like Jesus. <laughs> I was like, I'm tempted. That, that's a, I like that one. That was actually a good one. But most Christian t-shirts, when you look at Christian t-shirts, they are cheesy. Why? Because they're taking pop culture and they're trying to make it religious. And why do we wear Christian t-shirts? Well, to tell people we're Christians. Obviously. So just for fun, I I brought a few Christian t-shirts for you to see. You ready? These are real Christian t-shirts. So we have the John Deere logo, right? Sort of. And it says John 3.16. Or instead of Reese's Buttercups, we have Jesus, the King of Kings. Now, years ago, I came across a Christian t-shirt, and I admit, I bought it. Because it hands down, it may have been the best Christian t-shirt I had ever seen in my entire life. And this is, this is what it said. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> why, do, why do we typically wear Christian t-shirts? And so that as we're walking in public, people go, oh, you must be a Christian. How'd you know? Your shirt. Right, well, why do we carry our Bibles in public? And preferably the family Bible, because it's bigger, right? And it's heavier and makes a greater impact in someone's life. So why, why, do we, why, why do we carry our Bibles? Well, why do we wear crosses around our neck? Well, why, why do we wear the earrings that have little crosses? Well, so the people know I'm a Christian. What if you didn't have to wear the shirt? What if you didn't have to carry the Bible? Nothing wrong with that, by the way. If you have a Christian t-shirt, by all means, wear it. Have a Bible, carry it. But what if you didn't have to? What if someone could just see how you lived and how you talked and the motive and how you interacted and they just went, Are you a Christian? How'd you know? Because no one else lives like that. Oh, thank you. Do you have that? How are they going to see that? Oh, I'll tell you how to do it. There are 10 things that if you would do this, people will know that you're a Christian. Are you ready? Number one. No, it's not a list, folks. It's a person. This isn't, hey, do the list of facts, data, information. This is get wrapped up in the person. This is, hey, get all wrapped up in the person. This is about the person. Why do I study the Bible? It's for the person. Not just to have the facts, data, information. It's for the person, the person, the person. And what would happen if I got so tight with the person that I began to have his heart and his mind and his attitude and his language and his Uh, William Barfield, uh, about a decade ago or so, wrote this song called Mistaken. Great little song. I just want to read you a couple of sections because the song just enunciates this idea really well. He says this, I shouldn't have to tell you who I am because who I am should be speaking for itself. Because if I am who I want to be, then who you see won't even be me. Oh, the more and more I disappear, the more he becomes clear Till everyone I talk to hears his voice, and everyone I touch feels the warmth of his hand. Till everyone I meet sees Jesus in me, this is all I want to be. I want to be mistaken for Jesus. Oh, may he touch with my hands, see through my eyes, may he speak through my lips, and may he live through my life. Do you have this with Jesus? You realize when we get to heaven, 
and we stand before the judgment seat, I'll reverse that. Before we get to heaven and stand before the judgment seat, the entrance exam is not going to be, can you, can you quote all the books of the Bible in order? Hey, can you tell me 12 stories? Can you name the Ten Commandments? Those are all important things to know, folks. But the question that's going to be inquired of your soul is, do you know me? Do you know me? I've said for years that my desire is that when I see Jesus, when I die or when he blows a trumpet call and I see Jesus, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. I will bow because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And hey, I will get on my face. But before I do, if he allows me, I'm giving him a bear hug. Dead serious. I'm going to be, I'm going to be dead. I'm going to be ushered in. And here's Jesus walking toward me. There's going to be this great cloud of witnesses. I'm pretty sure Oswald Chambers will show up and Samuel Bringle and some of my other favorite snuggle buddies. Right? And they're all going to, they're going to be there going, Woo! You finally made it! But here's Jesus. He's going to be walking toward me. And before I plant my face in worship, I'm going to run to him. Pop, pop, Imagine it's slow motion. And I'm going to run up to him and just and bear hug him. Why? Because we're best friends, folks. I've been, I've been spending my life just saturating in his presence and delighting myself in him and becoming an old, old cute couple with Jesus. And I don't know if he'll let me bear hug him first, but I think he will. Because the more I get to know him, oh, he wants intimacy, folks. Yes, he demands worship. And he is worthy of worship. And that's all true. But you realize he wants intimacy with you. He's longing for relationship. And if my whole spiritual life is merely on the level of two plus two equals Jesus, folks, I'm missing it. Because this is eternal life that they might gnosko me. Do you have that? As I already mentioned, there was a radical shift in the New Testament. In the Old Covenant, God was out there. I was down here. He gave me commands. He gave me rules. And in the best of my own ability, I was trying to appease. I was trying to, I was trying to live up to his expectations. But do you realize that there was a shift that took place in the New Testament? And at Pentecost, the outside God came to be inside. Because of the cross, yes, the cross was there for your forgiveness. But you realize as uh, Henry Law says, the cross wasn't merely for forgiveness. It was for the purpose of Pentecost in your life. That the reason why you were forgiven is so that he can come in and live in and through your life. Do you realize that we can now, as Christians, live, live on a whole new level? Do you know that the prophets of the Old Testament learned, yearned for what you and I get to experience? Jeremiah says, hey, things are being written on stone tablets, but then they'll be written on the hearts. Ezekiel says, I don't understand, but there's going to be coming a day when God's going to enter in. And they longed for it. How many times have we looked back at the Old Testament guys and said, wow, to be like Daniel, whoa, to be like Ruth, whoa, to be like Moses. And if you were to talk to them, they would go, are you crazy? Oh, to have what you get to have. Oh, to experience what you get to experience. Why? Because the living God is living inside of your life. Which means I can think on a whole new level. I can live on a whole new level. And the God of the impossibles wants to come in and do the impossible in and through your life. And the call of Christianity, you understand, is an impossible calling. You cannot live the Christian life properly. It's impossible. It is. You can't do it. But he can. Which means that when someone sees the true Christian life being lived out through your life, the only explanation for your life is Jesus. One of my favorite writers from Christian history is Ian Thomas. Oh, love Ian Thomas. 
Uh, Major Ian Thomas died a few years ago. That's the uh, guy that Eric and Leslie and Annie had tea with. Remember that session where he talked about the answer to all of our problems today? And Ian Thomas just said, Jesus. Oh, love that man. And uh, died before I got to meet him. But anyway, listen to this. This is what Ian Thomas said. He said, the Christian life can be explained only in terms of Jesus Christ. And if your life as a Christian can still be explained in terms of you, whether it be your personality, your willpower, your gift, your talent, your money, your courage, your scholarship, your dedication, your sacrifice, or your anything, then although you may have the Christian life, you are not yet living it. He goes on to say, and I think you have it in the quote there, that if you are living your Christian life by your own strength and your, your own resource, what do you have to give? Your neighbors can live that way. They just don't want to have the rules of church. What would happen if your life became utterly unexplainable to the world around you? See, what if you were so full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control that people just said, I don't understand how you're living that way. How how do you, as a young man in this culture, live with purity? How is it that everyone hates our, our local neighbor? He just drives everybody crazy, and yet you go out of your way to bake them cookies and mow their lawn and do such and such and such and such. And you're like, I can't even help it. Well, what makes you different? Jesus. What if the only explanation for how you were living is him? You realize that would mean that you'd have to get tight with him. But he has made everything that you need for life and for godliness available in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. All that you need for life and for godliness is in him. And I don't know about you, but I can't think of anything else I might need outside of life and godliness. Would you embrace him? Would you just get wrapped up in him? Would you allow the living God to come in and dwell your life and bring your life to a whole new level that goes far beyond information and facts and data, far beyond perception and understanding, that you actually begin to have intimacy and relationship and experience with the living God? Take that idea into the saturation. Why do I get into the word? It's to increase that, folks. I want to get to know him. Not just know about him. I want to know him. And there's a lot of people in churches today. There's a lot of people going into Christian colleges and seminaries who know a lot about Jesus who don't know Jesus. This is eternal life. with me. Jesus, uh, Lord, you're the big deal. Uh, you're it. The Father is shouting your name. The Spirit is glorifying you. And yes, you in turn are pointing back to them. But Lord, this is not about knowing information about you. Well, <laughs> that is important. Lord, this is about getting wrapped up in intimacy and oneness with you. This is actually having life with you. Lord, it just boggles my mind that we can pray without ceasing if you live inside of us. Why? Because we can carry on a constant conversation with you. Even down at the checkout counter or at the fast food restaurant as we're dealing with somebody, hey, we could be, the undercurrent of our life could still be just this communion with you. Lord, I can wake up in the morning and just spend my whole day with you. So this isn't about, you know, putting my 15 minutes in the morning on in for Jesus. This is, hey, could I spend my whole life around you? Why? Because this is eternal life, that I would get wrapped up in intimacy and oneness with you. Jesus, could I become a cute old couple with you? Could you somehow give me your heart and your mind and your attitude and your motive and, and your language? And, and when people see me, they don't just see me. Somehow they see you shining and oozing forth from the, every pore of my body. Jesus, that when I talk, it's not just my own language. And and yes, you use my personality. And yes, you use my quirkiness. And and, and yes, you use my intellect. But somehow you go far beyond that. And and they are hearing your whispers through my lips. Jesus, could you take my attitude? And and as I'm living amongst my family, and as I'm living amongst the, the world, could you somehow give me an attitude that is so full of you and showcasing your love that when they see me, they're just like, whoa, why are you different? And Lord, may the only explanation for my life be you. 
somehow would you go through my life beyond my own ability and my own intellect, beyond my own resource and my own talent, and would you grab the world around me and, and draw them into relationship with you because they see what you're doing in and through me. Lord, I want to know you more. Oh, deep within my soul, I want to know you. Jesus, that's my prayer for everybody in this room. That somehow we would go beyond the academics and move into intimacy. That we would experience the living God. Which we understand is not some mystical, ooh, kind of stuff, Jesus. But this is just relationship with a best friend. Would you be real in our lives? Would you leap off the pages of scripture? Could you grab a hold of us and over these next hundred days, would you just <clears throat> do something so radical in our minds and our hearts that we just, at the end of these hundred days, we look back and say, wow, there's, God has turned my world upside down. And it's not because I learned facts. It's because, wow, I met the person. May the rest of our lives be just this endless delight of getting to know you more and more and more. And when we stand at the judgment seat, may not be, well, you did all this religious stuff, but I never knew you, but wow, come over, buddy. Let me give you a bear hug because we're best friends. Oh, Lord, I deeply long for that. We just declare that we love you. Thank you that we have the opportunity to have intimacy with the God of the universe that you have humbled and stooped to such a degree to have a relationship with me. Hmm. Love you, Jesus. Just give you all the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned in the session, the deep passion and the hunger and desire of my life for you is that you might know Jesus Christ that you would actually experience eternal life, which is a person named Jesus. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 87 for episode number 87. And just as a fun note, if you're more of a book reader, I actually took this session and put it in a book form called Knowing Jesus. And you can find that on Amazon or by going to the show notes. And I have a link to it as well. Well, until next time, know I am cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ.